Welcome to The Meteor Podcast, a weekly news show about what's going on in the media community. This episode is for Friday, June 19th, 2015. This week's episode is brought to you by Modulus.io. They are the single best hosting option available for Meteor right now. Go to Modulus.io and check them out. They offer a marketplace, they offer you Mongo databases, it's very easy to integrate with other Mongo databases. You know, they offer WebSocket support with sticky sessions. They do everything right for your Meteor app. I use them for everything that I'm doing. I would highly recommend you use them as well. Modulus.io. Welcome, Meteor fans. I'm your host, Josh Owens, along with my dueling co-host today. Who's first? Uh, uh, <laughs> hey, this is uh, Dean, Chicago Grooves. I'm yeah. Ryan Walker, yeah. Cincinnati Grooves. <laughs> <laughs> Cincinnati Grooves. Nice. So, uh, yeah, I just thought uh, we'd, we could have both people on today as co-hosts. So, Super. Uh, yes, you get it's been done. a bonus co-host and a bonus story since we have three people. So we're doing six stories today. Hey. Uh, so, as always, you can find us on uh, Twitter. Twitter.com slash Meteor Podcast. That's where we tweet about all things related to this show. Also, I think it's just my retweet bot account or something. I retweet everything I find interesting about Meteor as well. Mm-hmm. So this week, we're going to talk about Fat Model Skinny Templates, React and Material UI, WebAssembly, Creating Meteor Toys, ES6, and Meteor's up 28%. Woo! That's such a random and interesting measurement, but we'll we'll get into that. But I think first you wanted to say something, Dean, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's been a lot of events uh, in the news that have really been drawing, you know, racial divides and talking about privilege and and a lot of things in our community um, about you know creating zero tolerance policies for conferences and. There's a, there's a lot of discussion going on, and I just want to reiterate for the media community and every community that, I, that I'm a part of that we do need to keep in mind the human element of coding and that there are people there with feelings. And if we even just exercise a little bit more sensitivity and kindness on pull requests and, and discussions, that's, that's the minimum we need to do just want to uh, commit that this community is welcoming and inclusive. And if we ever mess up and say anything that puts, makes someone feel like an outsider, I want that, that person to let us know so that yeah. we can uh, get them back in the fold. I, I would say any of us, you know, are approachable on Twitter or if you can find our email address, like feel free to private message us or email us and it's likely unintentional. So, you know, we're, yeah. we're here and we want to see the community grow and, I would wholeheartedly agree with all that. So with that said, we're, uh, we're not judging anybody when we talk about fat models and skinny templates. Fat models, they're my favorite. So for me, like I, I wrote this post actually, so I'll take this story. But, you know, coming from Rails, I, I definitely came from a background of like, this is all based on skinny controller fat model paradigm, which Jameis Buck wrote about a long time ago. And I've written a couple articles about missing an ORM and I think this is the reason why I miss an ORM, you know, like being able to put business logic 
into your models or as it were like in our like saying it in, in meteor lands a little weird like an individual document from a collection right that's what i'm actually referring to as a model here you know, being able to put that business logic on that model, I think is a very smart thing. And I, I've seen it be very advantageous as I've been moving towards that paradigm, uh, my latest client project and, and some of my open source work as well. So I referenced, you know, I, I did this for Space Talk and I've also been doing it for the client that I've been working on. And it's been a cleaner experience. So we're able to take, you know, methods that you would probably write a template helper for, push it into a collection helper instead. Now it's available on both the client and the server. And it's going to be available anywhere in the client that you're using that, that kind of document, individual document. So, you know, you can call it from one template helper or another. So, you know, if you think about maybe the use cases in the, the Mastering Meteor class, you know, I, I put some stuff on the tweets and on the users. So I can call like users.tweets or I can call tweet.user or something like that. And it'll like call a find and return the relevant information to me. So, yeah. you know, that I think that's a very, very strong paradigm. And I give some examples in here about how like if the client comes to you and says, hey, like, you know, let's, let's assume we're building like a support ticket app and you want someone to view the support tickets and we need to give access to that. Well, then if we use something like Adrian landing roles, then you're going to have this, um, you know, checking to see if the user has the allowed role and that kind of thing. And so what if instead we just push that straight into, you know, the, the checking straight into the user's class somehow, we can just call support tickets and it, it'll check to see if the user already is a support rep. And if so, you know, it'll allow that, that data to return. And so now we, we get this nice kind of interface that works the same in both the client and the server for publication and for, you know, showing the data on the client. And it, it's just, it's made for a better user experience. And then on top of that, you know, at the end of the day, when the client comes to me and says, Oh, Hey, we've got these additional users that need access to support tickets. Can you add them into the, like add their roles into the list of people that can see these support tickets. Like, oh yeah, sure. Like that's a one-liner change in one file and we're done. That's brilliant to me. <laughs> yeah. So would you call these are like client and server mix, mix-ins of functionality basically? Kind of, but I, you know, they're not really mix-ins because they pertain particularly to this data that we're talking about, right? Like, so in the case of the, the users were, were directly working with meteor.users collection. And so I tend to save that off as like capital U users uh, and then apply the helpers there. But yeah, it, it's, it's tightly scoped to the data, the document data that, that we're working with. So, and then you're able to just call like, when you call this, you're able to access that document's data. Yeah. So... What are you thinking, Ry? You just came into focus. The lighting was kind of keeping you in the dark for a second. Yeah. Well, I was actually using some uh, some of my powers to do that. Ooh, the predator <laughs> effect. <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting. Like uh, Rails was such an opinionated framework, right? Yet you still had to have this post, a similar post like this, come out in the Rails community because you know people can write spaghetti code in every framework, and so I think this is like a, a strategy to avoiding spaghetti code or when you change something, having to change it in a million spots. I like to put a lot of this kind of stuff into a, like a services kind of a 
mm-hmm. because, you know, if it's, if it's like this thing's happening to these three objects, I always have a tough time to figure out like which object does that method belong. Right. Did you use concerns or modules to do that or, or did you go right to services? I just, yeah, I, I oftentimes just create a slash services directory. And right. Just, right. Just like if there's a process that does like 10 things, you know, like, do this thing, send an email, you know, send some analytics, all this kind of stuff. Like it's hard for me to say that belongs in the user class because mm. it can get, it can get messy there. But I think it's like, it's just all part of a continuum, right? Like I think this is the right way yeah. to go from like pure spaghetti, you know, get stuff into the classes, into, into the effective models. But then you find that maybe some, someday that that actually breaks down. Cause I remember like in rails lands, you'd have, you'd have on your user object, like 300 lines worth of code. Right. And <laughs> it's like, well, it's, that's a really fat object right there, fat, fat model. Um, it, it was flipping fat, yep. Yeah, perhaps too fat, you know, mm-hmm. so, yeah, but I, I think that this is, this is definitely something that is a, a step you want to take as you're growing your app. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I, I didn't really talk about it either, but uh, if you notice, like, the two helpers I made on the user class, I kind of follow the single responsibility principle as well. Yep. So. yep trying to have functions that are only running like one or two lines of code as well. Yeah. Make things cleaner. That's solid, bro. Yeah. And you can delegate to another class, you know, that does all that stuff. So yeah, there's all kinds of stuff you can, you can do, but yeah, good, good post, Josh. Good post. Architectural patterns are emerging and keeping, keeping them going is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, the, the great part is too, like it's only a 20 line, 20 lines of code, kind of package that you install. So it's really easy to look over and make sure that it, it functioned, you know, not much to it. All right. What's next? Well, I, I put this on here uh, for, for the material UI aspect. So first let's ask about that. Like, do you guys think material design is like the new bootstrap? I've had a little trouble getting it going and followed back to bootstrap a few times. What do you guys think? I think Rye has opinions on that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, well, I mean, we're using Polymer. Uh, um, so we've moved to Polymer 1.0. Um, mm-hmm. We like it, you know, uh, but it's not for everybody. So, yeah, okay. we, I don't know anything about Materialize, to be honest, because it, it came out after Polymer. <laughs> oh, okay. But it has that uh, Google flat uh, material design look? Yep, yep. And yeah. it's basically allowing our developer, Greg, to design stuff that when we go out and show the app to people, they're like, man, who's your designer? And I say Google, and they're like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so, yeah, we get a lot of compliments on something that we built without any designer at all. Cool. Nice. I'm sure you get the same thing with, with Materialize, though. Do you use Materialize, Josh? Uh, I haven't used it, no. We've been, uh, I've, I've been on Ionic, actually. So Ah, um, which is Angular-derived, right? It is, but we're using Meteoric, so it's a Blaze-wrapped version of Ionic. Ah, okay. Wow, so many choices for front-end stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for us, I mean, we're doing phone only, so, you know, I've been building a Cordova application for the last five months or so, so. And Ionic, that's Ionic's use case is for phone only? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't look very good in the browser. So, like, if they came to me and said, hey, we need a browser version of this, I'd probably start packaging a lot of this stuff up to be like mobile and browser packaging and kind of separate that out. Cool. And does React have any kind of built-in UI uh, opinions? Uh, CSS framework, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, okay. That I'm aware of, but yeah. Yeah, I think this is really, this, this post is kind of like the guy 
mash together these things and yeah, uh, yeah. Meteor for well. database, React for front end components, and Material UI for theming. Right. So that's that's a package that can yeah. work. And uh, who wrote this post again? Luigi Maselli. All right. Thanks, Luigi from Italy. Great. A lot of good design in Italy. I love my espresso machines to look all beautiful like that. <laughs> well, yeah. So it looks like I'm reading. I, I didn't even realize Material UI is basically the Polymer look without the actual web components architecture. Yeah. So, so it's just Material mm -hmm. Design. Yeah. So it, at the end of the day, it's just like two different paths to get the same sort of a look. Uh, so I imagine it's, you know, it, again, web components is, is um, an, an interesting topic. It's a, it's a standard that I don't know will win, but we're using it. So uh, we know what we're doing now. So, and, um, but I don't know if it wins long term because there's a lot of hurdles to get over. Actually, I talked to Rishi about this, and I'm pretty sure this week at Meteor.com is using the material CSS framework rather than using Polymer. So... Cool. But you wouldn't be able to tell just by looking at it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like because it's all been uh, minified and stuff. I'm not sure mm -hmm. that it's necessarily mm -hmm. easy. To but yeah, there is that color that kind of I associate with material design, just like that color of blue I associate with Bootstrap. The default color, yeah. <laughs> all right, let's jump to the next topic. Yes. Yeah. Tell us a little uh, bit about WebAssembly. Yeah, I, I just learned about it because I got assigned the story. Um, <laughs> I remember, yeah, I heard some of the headlines about it, but I hadn't dove very deeply into it. But basically, WebAssembly is an idea that, you know, it's been said that JavaScript is the assembly code for the, you know, the front end that, you yeah. know, a lot of people, I don't know, there's maybe 200 different, I did a CoffeeScript post where I did some research and there's like 200 different languages that compile down to JavaScript, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy high number, like way higher than you would expect. Yeah, but I think, you know, the reason that happens is because it's such an interesting target language, right? Because it, it literally yeah. runs everywhere. Like everybody yeah. makes a version that runs on every device. So, I mean, that's, that's why. Yeah, yeah, it's not terribly surprising. But the, but the point of this WebAssembly thing is that JavaScript is not assembly. And it doesn't perform like assembly, so it's kind of a bad assembly it's a for the web. Assembly. Yeah, so so they're but proposing, is it a good enough assembly? Uh, I mean, if, if, if the web assembly is trying to get something like twenty times faster than JavaScript, so that would be big, you know. Honestly, like either you still run across apps that um, are slow, know, but I mean, in the day of like Moore's law and like us getting kind of ridiculously fast with computers, do we care? Well, power usage, right? The environment, the trees will be happy if we get faster JavaScript. <laughs> Ooh, think of the trees. Think of the trees. Damn it. No, I, yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. I'll buy it. How about this? How about better battery power on your device? That might be an answer. That, that's what you mean by the trees. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know too much, again, about this thing. I know this is not a reality right now from what I can see, but it says that Mozilla, Microsoft, Google, and Apple are all working together on this. I've also heard the same thing, you know, said about lots of standards that don't end yeah. up happening. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the interesting thing here is, like, if you go look at, like, Shadow DOM versus, you know, Virtual DOM or something like that, like, you know, there, there's clearly divides between Apple and Google on which one should win. But the fact that they're all four working on a WebAssembly project seems very, very interesting in the long run to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just don't know, is there a certain company that's more behind this than others? Like, that's the, the case with, with, with web components and, you know, the Polymer stuff. You know, Google is way more behind that than these other companies. And, the, and so it's like, if you let that win, you're kind of helping Google win. And, and so I don't know if there's some company that's more behind this than others, or is it truly a, you know, all four major browser guys are all working together in a nice um, – non-competitive way you know like that's the tricky part about this is these are all big companies too it's almost well, scary right like oh yeah. my god all four of them are doing this what mm-hmm. yeah so let's watch we'll see yeah. i think it will be interesting because i i think you know you'll you'll start to see compilers come out that'll take your ruby code down to byte code that can run in the browser and mm-hmm. you know yeah it starts to break down the javascript is owning the world uh, idea uh you know, again, it probably makes sense. I mean, really, JavaScript is not the – it's kind of a crappy language at its core, and it's just a happy accident that it happened to win out, I think, <laughs> as big as it is. True. True. But we'll get into that, right, because we're going to yep. talk about ES6. Oh, oh there was oh. a segue. Nice. Uh, yeah, the problem is – well, you know what? Why don't you go ahead? <laughs> um, we'll come back to mine. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I was uh, skipping over. Um, so, uh, yeah, ES6 uh, has standardized. So, um, who made this post here is uh, Dominic Ferber, uh, Real World ES6 Examples. And I'm very excited about ES6. I think it kind of splits the difference between CoffeeScript succinctness and, and, and convenience and the fact that, you know, it's JavaScript. So everybody, learn what you can about ES6. It is coming. The train has left the station. And you will love some of the things that it has. So some of the quick um, hits that Dominic touches on are the arrow functions, which are uh, get rid of some of the weirdness of this, right? right? If you're using arrow functions, the whole var self equals this convention that you're used to, mm-hmm. you can... In, in most cases, do without that. Another thing that will be going the way of the dodo bird with ES6 that Dominic mentions is, you know what I'm going to say, uh, array.prototype.slice.call. Whoa, that's a mouthful. So how about just... <laughs> <laughs> what is your pet peeve uh, in JavaScript that uh, ES6 solves? Just one, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. It's it's too hard. Um, so well, for right. me, yeah, this seems a lot like like it's. A pro, uh, so I still use Coffee Scripts. I'm one of those guys. Ah. So like, okay, you're getting closer, but you're not there yet. <laughs> that's that's true. You're not there yet. I've done some character count differences, and there are still you know trailing curly braces and things like that in ES6 yeah. that you can't always get rid of. Yeah. yeah, but I, I like the like the new object literal kind of syntax where you can just use the parentheses and it kind of denotes that it's a function and you just return out of there. We don't have to type function anymore. Like, That's oh, true. That, that was a big thing for me with CoffeeScript. Like, I hated having to type function and it drives me nuts every time, so. Yeah, I think I did a, 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 an analysis on some JavaScript file and something like 40% of the weight of the file was either the word function or the word return. <laughs> I mean, think of all the carpal tunnel we would prevent by not having to type all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. array prototype slice call goes away with the uh, triple dot uh, rest operator and spread operator. You'll know those rye from CoffeeScript. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into classes, really. Uh, I don't 
try to use classes and inheritance very much in JavaScript, but it's certainly better the ES6 way than the ES5 way. Yeah, and again, in CoffeeScript, we have classes. Whoop. Yep. <laughs> well, you think you have classes. Well, I have whatever. I, yeah, it feels like a class, then it is a class. That's why. Well, that, that, is the, that is the dynamic language principle, isn't it? It's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a transpiled class, right? <laughs> I didn't know that word. No. Trans <laughs> I believe you. Transpiling? Yeah. You can install the uh, Babel ES6, uh, Babel, Babel package, and you can start writing an ES6 six syntax now, and then it'll transpile down to ES5 yeah. syntax. So kind of like polyfill or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, exactly. Same idea. I've used a, a different package, but you can, you can get going uh, on that in Meteor now. You have been able to for a while uh, with either the, the Babel one or there's a M. Quandaye Harmony it's another package, and my, my, I think the uh, lowest barrier to entry is uh, taking like the test suite of an existing project or package and rewriting it in ES6, right? So then your production code maintains its you know format that you're familiar with, but you can use your test suites as a learning curve. And if you're using a lot of it and describe blocks or nesting like in Cucumber, some of those ES6 features will help you out today. Cool. Nice. Exciting stuff. Uh, like, I'm pretty, pretty stoked that ES6 got ratified. So Yeah. And ES7 is underway, too. So, unfortunately, some of the more arcane features, like asynchronous uh, behaviors, which we're not going to get into right now, those will completely change in ES7, but that's no reason not to get familiar with the stuff that's in Dominic's post uh, and other uh, good ES6 posts today. Yeah. Yep. That's just my two cents. So the next topic, we'll come back to it now, uh, is creating meteor toys. So uh, Sasha, or Disco on the Discover Meteor blog, Max Savin had a nice guest post about uh, meteor toys and kind of how it came to be and just kind of walked through all the things that he had done, like talking about, you know, Mon Mongo, what did he call it early on? It was a Mon Mongol, Mongol, like Genghis Khan. Mongo and Spectre was the initial name. Ah. And then he renamed it to Mongol. And then uh, he had a session in Spectre as well, which he renamed to Jet Setter. And then uh, he started getting more and more into creating debug only packages and started writing a bunch more. And he called them the orb. And he's kind of created this whole uh, system around it. So he's got this UI for putting the kind of the, this debug environment on your screen. So it's almost like you're overlaying these development tools right on top of your development environment, like yeah. your browser itself, uh, which is a, a really interesting concept because you can get access to the shell or the pub subs, or you can tell it to like auto publish if you want. Like this feels like a better, like a, he's got a quote on his page for me. To me, this feels like what they wanted auto publish and insecure to kind of do for people when they created that. So I almost feel like, honestly, media should just come in, buy like a mass package and just give it to the community. <laughs> yeah. As, as like what they originally intended things to be for yeah. new developers. I, I think that's great. They could even, uh, you know, pay him in uh, Chipotle coupons. Cause <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, he says something about Chipotle burritos. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting, but you know, after this post came out, 
Uh, I got into this pretty heated debate with uh, a couple people in a Slack chat room, not the Meteor Club Slack chat room, but another one I'm in. And it was interesting because, you know, a lot of people think that it's a negative thing to have paid packages in the ecosystem. And a lot of people feel like, you know, his reasoning of, you know, uh, developers get paid, Meteor gets paid for hosting. Why shouldn't I get paid for creating these awesome packages? And, and I agree with that. So, you know, and the debate was very much the the other way. People feel like it's going to be bad for the community in the long run. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think the, the uh, compromise you mentioned where uh, MDG adopts um, people either, you know, hiring them, but they can't hire everyone who does some good work. Right. Um, but somehow like adopting and taking stewardship and possibly with, uh, you know, money or a stipend. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, the way I feel, I mean, I kind of feel like let the market decide whether this is a good idea to do paid packages. You know, if people buy it, then it's good, right? If people don't buy it, then it didn't work out. But I I mean, I kind of see the, you know, certain communities, like I remember in the .NET world, uh, when I was a part of that, it seemed like every bit of code you wanted to bring in that wasn't your own, uh, it was kind of like pre-GitHub, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. You had to buy, you had to buy these $100, $200 things, and that kind of sucked, but, but you accepted it and you paid, you know, you know um, I don't really at, like that. At the end of the day, you know, there, there's a couple of schools of thought that I have around this. And w- one is like, if you're willing to pay for an IDE or some kind of tool that adds onto your IDE, I, I kind of see this as the same kind of thing. Yep. And also if this saves you time in some way, like time is money, especially as a developer, like a freelance developer, I sell my hours. Like if this saves me, over an hour, that's worth some amount of money to me. And as long as yeah. it's saving me t- more time than what it would cost time-wise, then yep. it's, a, it's a win. And, yeah. you know, you saw the same thing in the Rails community, like with uh, like early on Rails kit. Like you could buy a package that would do the credit card kind of integration. This was prior to Stripe. And you could just buy this package, this gem, pop it in and get credit card stuff going on for your SaaS app. Like to I me, bought that too. I yeah. 250 bucks for, for SaaS kit. Yeah. Yep. And, and it probably save you at least a day of work, which is going to be yep. a win for your, your company or your bottom line in some way. Like is that a bad, yep. no, I don't think that's a bad, thing. but I, I, I do wonder uh, how many people have paid this price um, for it and whether, you know, he's going to think about adjusting the price to get more people in or maybe even just the fact that, you know, we've talked about them in so many episodes on account of there being a price. Like, maybe I should set a price on, on my packages. So I'll, I'll just be mentioned and people will debate whether it's a good thing. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's blazing a trail. Uh, so he's taking all the, um, heat. the attack of the heat on it. Yeah. But I, I agree with you, Josh. This seems more like an IDE enhancement than a, a Meteor package that runs inside your app. It's just a dev tool, so people pay for dev tools. And I mean, I, I don't pay for dev tools, but some people pay for dev tools. <laughs> yeah, like I use RoboMongo, I use Atom. You know, I don't think I pay for either of those things. So. Well, you do, yeah. right? I mean, you you have like a pretty big, large like GitHub uh, subscription for differential. True. So theoretically, awesome. you're paying for Atom in some way. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Wow, they tricked they tricked me. <laughs> <laughs> Or they impressed you. Yeah, true. Angry tweet at them. (laughs) Why are you funneling funneling these dollars? I hate you. (laughs) 
Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, uh, I think we're going to do like a longer Meteor Club podcast on this topic. I'm going to have one of the people that was kind of down on it. I'm going to have them come on the show. And then I'm going to have someone from the Ruby community who has quit his job and he's doing full-time package development, paid package development. And, you know, I I want to like just put them together and let them go at it. (laughs) I think that would be interesting. Hmm. So yeah, I'd like to hear how he came up with the with the price, and uh, the last tool that I bought was twenty nine dollars. It was a uh, called a deck set, and it stung a little bit to get it, but I had to make a presentation in two days, and it looked much better on account of doing it. Yeah, so I went back and forth with him for a while, and I think he did this with other people too, trying to figure out a price. And to me, I told him forty nine dollars felt like the right price, ninety nine. Maybe feels high to me, so I don't know. But I tell you what, uh, I know he'll make a coupon code for us. So if you come to the uh, the meteorpodcast.com and look at the show notes for episode 65, I'll make sure we put a link in there so you can get a discount on, on Meteor Toys. So Awesome. Yep. That's a big ad for him. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, it was a very brilliant strategy. You're uh, welcome, Max. All right, <laughs> let's go to the next last topic. Uh, yes. Next and last topic. Meteor is up 28%. And this is, I'm going to go ahead and debunk this as, as being fact. And here's why. Okay. Uh, right. <laughs> Libscore.com, which is where this data is coming from, says that in May there were 67 sites using Meteor, and now there's 86 sites using Meteor which is 28% improvement, but I'll tell you what, there's more than 86 sites using Meteor. So I agree. Your data is wrong. wrong. (laughs) Yes. Crater, you know, interesting. Like I looked through the list and tried to see if Crater was on there. And so I had to go look up Alexa and it ranks at like 151,000 or something. And it's not, it's not in there, but it's got things that are above me and below me as far as Crater goes listed there. So I don't Uh, know. I I see Crater. Crater is at number 722. 722,000, which oh, is way see, lower than, yeah. Yeah, Alexa tells me it's much, much higher than that worldwide. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know where they're getting their rankings from. That's kind of interesting too. Okay. Yeah. I just yeah. happened to scroll the bottom. I saw that. But yeah, there's way more sites. I mean, we've built a lot of sites that aren't on here. Lister's not on here. What the hell? You know, maybe it's not in the top million. <laughs> Dang it. We need to get more traffic. Yeah, someone said they saw a differential on the list too. Yeah, differential IO, which isn't actually, you know, it resolves, but um, yeah, differentials on that list. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't believe, I mean, I guess we have a blog that has traffic, so maybe maybe it is. Yeah, it seems but like, see, seems I like Crater know, can get more traffic than us. Yeah, I know Crater's, I know last time I saw differential stats, you guys were like at 20,000 visitors a month or something, and Crater's up to like, like honestly, I've been kicking some ass, and it's up to like 40, almost 50,000 visitors a month now. So uh, I'd be curious to look into their, how they're doing this. Yeah. Yep. I recall there was some number, I think MDG published about the number of windows meteor installs. Yeah. Um, Matt, Matt put up a tweet with a image on it. Yeah. And I know that certainly every single meteor install, however many that is on windows is, is new and uh, represents growth there. So you know uh, what's interesting? I'd love to see Meteor like maybe open up some stats on this because th- they've got them. They do. If you've noticed, you've got like this Meteor identifier now uh, file that's in your .meteor folder for each application. And 
that should be unique per application. And if you're missing one, it will actually generate it for you. And they use that to track like how many applications are out there. And so I'd be curious if they, if they know like how many applications are out there in production right now. So that's all we got. I don't believe the data. So I mean, it'd be, maybe, maybe Meteor did go up by 28% last month, but this isn't the source of that. Uh, <laughs> so we'll, we'll do, we'll do our homework and come up with some, uh, some, some more specific numbers next time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll dig into these guys and figure out how this lib score is coming across. So, uh, you know, I'm curious, uh, what are you guys, are you guys working on anything interesting, Meteor-wise? Oh my gosh, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, go ahead, you go first, Dean. Well, I have been uh, working on like a tutorial. I'm, I'm trying to turn Meteor Tracker in on itself. So I'm working on a tutorial that shows you reactively the numbers of computations and dependencies that Tracker is tracking to create uh, a tutorial of that. And uh, it's, it's highly recursive and it's blowing the stack depth of my brain. And so I, I'm probably going to have to cut scope a little bit to get it out there. But uh, I'm excited about this tutorial, uh, hopefully by the end of the, of the month. Cool. Yeah, for me, I, I traveled to um, San Francisco, was it last week? Yeah, last week. And did a presentation at the South Bay meetup down in Palo Alto, which was kind of cool. Got to meet Rahul and oh, yeah. present a little bit of what we're doing with Astronomer to that group. Um, Astronomer is a tool to do event collection out of your Meteor app and get it to the tools, the analytic tools you're using. I'm working on starting to prepare for a talk in, uh, at DevCon 5 in New York next month on Meteor, which I've never, you know, I haven't done a talk on Meteor. I don't know if I ever have, but anything mm. formal like that. So, mm. so wish me luck, guys. I mean, I got to go in front of a conference and talk about Meteor, but that'll be fun. If you have any presentations you can give me as a starting point, send them over. <laughs> yeah, I have the one I did at PauseCon. I'll, uh, I'll send you a link to the slides for it. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. So it's always nerve-wracking. Yeah, I've got a, I'm going to OzCon, uh, not to be confused with PauseCon. <laughs> but OzCon in Portland next month and uh, I'll be doing a Meteor tutorial there it's like a three hour tutorial Oof. so if any listeners are going to be there actually like I would love to have a hand because they set up like 96 seats and right now 24 of those are sold out and I think I can manage 24 people but you know if, if I hit the full 96 that's going to be a little big for me to deal with to run one workshop you, you need an assistant yeah, yeah, yeah. So if anyone will be in Portland around July 21st, I want to say, I could definitely use help and I could probably get you a ticket if you don't already have one, <laughs> at least for that, that workshop that day or something. I've actually been working on something called Space Dojo. So I guess officially I'm going to launch it today. <laughs> and it's uh, a performance review service. I'm actually uh, working with my first client today. I just get access to your code you pay a monthly fee. I'm still kind of debating on what, what that monthly fee is. But right now, it's, it's somewhere around 900 bucks a month. And I'll just come in and, and basically go over your Kadira, go over your code, find where all the trouble spots are, and then kind of give you a report that says, here, you need to fix all this stuff. And then you fix all the things, right? I, I don't fix all uh, the things. Uh, that's what you <laughs> but, you know, you can contract me, I guess, if you really want me to fix all the things. Uh, but I think the idea is that, you know, if your, your team's inexperienced or they're having problems, like, 
you know, this is a good way for them to learn and kind of level up uh, over a couple months. So I kind of view this as an ongoing process. Like every month we go in and fix a round of stuff and, or find around around a stuff that you can fix and then you fix it and then we'll come back and find more stuff because there's always more stuff always right it's the 80 20 right and as soon as you knock off the worst parts the next worst parts show up yep <laughs> definitely so spacedojo.com gonna get that up today nice yep all right, guys. Well, I think that about wraps it up. As always, you know, we've got the, the year-long sponsorship from Modulus, so check those guys out. If you have hosting needs, modulus.io. And uh, if you want to support this podcast or Crater or any of the other things that I'm doing, uh, you can go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Meteor Club and uh, sign up there. Ten bucks a month will get you in the Slack chat room which uh, these two guys are in as well mm. as uh, a ton of other people. I think we're up to like a hundred now. So I've invited yeah. some of the other uh, kind of top 107. Wow. This thing keeps growing. Some of the other top meteor devs. So there's a big presence there. I think all the book authors are there. A lot of the heads of the, the shops, the development shops are in there. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a bunch of like rising star, like new participants as well. I yeah. don't know if we're giving shout outs specifically, but uh, uh, Neil O'Brien, I've, I've had a lot of interesting conversations with, and so Charles Watson, and of course, Colby Cheese. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. It's an awesome room. So cool. Right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you next week. See ya. See ya. This podcast has been a Meteor Club production. You can find out more information about Meteor Club at meteorjs.club. It's pretty easy to join the mailing list and stay in the loop. Again, that's meteorjs.club. Meteor Club.